All right, we are, uh, we're going to be in three different passages this morning, um, which uh, let me just straight away say, um, some of you may be thinking, hey, wait a second, is that exegetical to bounce around like that and do more than one passage? I mean, isn't, isn't that kind of cheating and, and just kind of cherry picking? No, actually it's not. And in fact, if you pay attention to how Jesus handles things when he preached, I Tell me of a time that he preached through a book of the Bible. Uh, thank you for your answer. That is correct. He did not. But that's not to say that we don't. We do. We, we do that both and. So don't get nervous and think I'm just going to cherry pick and skip around here. In fact, the, four, the three verses that we've chosen are not easy. Because they're talking about something that we in our culture have utterly rebelled against. The Sabbath. This idea that we should take a day and rest. In fact, we fight it at every turn. Uh, and I know many of you may be even feeling it right now. You may be thinking, oh man, is he, is he fixing to say that it's wrong for my kid to participate in some sort of sport or activity on Sunday? Stay tuned. Is he going to say it's wrong to eat out? Because I know he does. Well, you already know the answer to that one probably, but I'm going to unpack some stuff on that. And so, so I have no intent whatsoever with this sermon to create a heavier burden on you. The full, let me give you my full intent up front. My hope is that we would genuinely be set free in Christ who came to do all that the Sabbath promised, by the way, all that the Sabbath points to looking back and forward, he came to do actually that which creation was created for, which is bring God's people into the eternal Sabbath rest. And so, so my hope is that we would be set free to actually appreciate that which is a tremendous gift to us and stop yoking ourselves or thinking we're coming out from the yoke and calling freedom that which is just more slavery. Right? So that's the intent. Now, is it likely that I'm going to accomplish that in toto in the next 35 to 45 minutes? No, I'm not going to answer every question. I can't die the death of all thousand qualifications. I just can't. I'll die a few. But if you think you've heard me say something, instead of letting it stir within you and make you think less of me or this church or God, let's talk. Let's talk about it. Make sure, because I'll tell you straight away if I meant that or not. I'll tell you straight away if that's what I intended to say or if that's the implications of it. And, and hopefully that'll be a biblical position and not just something I came up with because it makes the Sabbath cool. Right? We want to be biblical people who receive the gifts and the means of grace that the Lord has given unto us. Amen? All right. So having said all that, if you would, find your way to Exodus uh, chapter 20. And we'll start in verses 8 through 11. Let me give just a little bit of background before we start this um, and just remind us of some things that we've heard prior to this. Remember, the Sabbath originates in creation, which actually Exodus 20 is going to point to. It's a creation ordinance. Therefore, it's not Jewish. It's not a Jewish concept, right? And so it's also doesn't begin with the law, although it's instituted in the law to evidence the gravity of it. Can I point out to you that the Sabbath of all of the commandments is mentioned by a landslide more times in the Old Testament than any other command because it is that much gravity associated with the day itself, right? So given that, and given that it's, it's 
a way in which we are called to express our faith and obedience. See, so often we forget that actual, you were, you were saved to do good works. Even Luther said, your works don't save you, but you were saved so that you could do good things, good works. All he's doing is quoting Ephesians 2.10. That's just Bible, right? And so part of the good works that we are called to do is to evidence our faith in being obedient to the things that the Lord gave us. And one of the things he gives us is a Sabbath. Now, some of you fall along the same lines as my good brother, D.A. Carson, who I admit is smarter than me. And he does not see the Lord's day as a continuation of the Sabbath, okay? So he thinks that it's a totally separate thing. I don't, and I'll tell you more about why I don't think it's completely separate. I think the Lord's day is the fulfillment of the Sabbath and still in play. With some of the, for all the same reasons as the Sabbath was good. Just as baptism fulfills circumcision and just as the Lord's Supper fulfills Passover. One of the reasons we probably sang that song if you're paying attention. And so, uh, as we lean into this, keep in mind those things. So let me ask you a question straight away because I, I think sometimes we forget um, how, how Satan works. Right? I mean, he really, he really doesn't do a bunch of different things. He kind of has one main way that he likes to do things. And what, what's his main thing? What does he want you to do more than anything else? He wants you to question two things. What did we, what did we learn last week? What's he want you to question? God's word. Did God really say? And get you all confused about what God's word says, because what does God's word lead to? God's word leads us to glorify the Lord our God. It, it is the instruction. It is the way in which we can do that. Not like some recipe book, but in story form with some things along the way that we're told, hey, this is probably a good idea to help you keep up with the story. So, so he wants us to question God's word. And what else does he want us to question? God's work. Remember, they were created in God's image. And what does Satan straight away say? I don't think you were. In fact, if you want to be in the image of God, you want to be God, just do what I tell you. Now, I'm not the creator, and I just showed up, and yeah, I'm a talking snake, but don't let that bother you. Right? And so he wants us to question those things. And so we've got to keep that in mind as we deal with an issue as, as important as the Sabbath, the Lord's Day, this thing given to us to remind us who we are, and whose we are. So in our culture, um, how does our culture view the idea of ceasing, uh, uh, resting, and taking time to enjoy what we have done? What, what, is, what is a common statement in our culture? When, when we go sleep, those of you who played like crazy softball, like one-pitch tournaments all night long, like I used to do, we had a shirt that said, I'll sleep when I'm dead. Yeah, you will. <laughs> but is that a good idea between here and there? And so often it's, it's, it's I'll, I'll enjoy those things when I retire. For those of you, is there such a thing really as retirement? For those of you who are in that place? No, there's probably not. And, and what you find is that your body is not actually in the condition to enjoy it like you'd hoped it would. You wish, what do most people say? If I was going to live this long, I would have... I'd have taken better care of myself. 
I think Mark Twain is quoted as saying something along those lines. And so, so the world looks at this idea of ceasing. To cease is to quit. To cease is to give up. To cease is to no longer care or try. To rest is to be lazy. I can't tell you how many of you all I know, you, you, you can't be still to save your lives. Trust me, I can see you. And so you, you, you just, you can't, the idea of, of, of resting is just like the most crazy thing to you. You feel like it's worthless. I'm not doing anything. You even struggle when you go on vacation. Because you think you must be doing something, accomplishing something, defining yourself, identifying yourself because you believe the lie that you don't bear the image and that that's not enough and that you must do something to add to. Right? So our culture is constantly at war with this idea. And when should we take time to appreciate what the Lord is doing in and through us, what the Lord has done, much less what we have done? And one of the best books on this is by a liberal scholar, so I'm not encouraging you to read a lot of other stuff by him, but it's a short book, and it's called The Sabbath as Resistance, and it's by Walter Brueggemann. I don't agree with my brother Brueggemann on lots of things, but that book is actually earth-shaking and foundational in terms of understanding how the Sabbath can actually set us apart, right? can actually identify us as a people and actually serve as, as something that other people would long for. How many people would long to rest because Pharaoh is wicked and he tells you, I want more from you and I'm going to give you less? Listen to what Joseph Piper Jr. has to say about this in a book called The Lord's Day. It's a good book. He's probably a little tighter around the edges than I am, being from Greenville. Uh, but he says, By referring to the Sabbath as the market day for the soul, the Puritans remind us that God gave us this day above all other days to conduct spiritual commerce. The purpose of the fourth commandment is to free us from our daily business so that we may do business with him on the market day of the soul. As I talk to many of you, and if I've talked to you about this, I'm not calling you out in particular, but it's a common problem. How many, of you, how many of you would confess and say, I just don't have enough time to get in God's word? How many of you would say, I just, I just don't have enough time to serve the poor? I'm so busy. How many of you would say, I just don't, I don't have enough time to catechize my children? Well, here's the beautiful thing. The Lord did not say, do all of that for seven days. No, how gracious is God to say, hey, listen, you take six, I'll take one. I'll take one, and I want to give you one in which you can get to these things that matter, that can change your life, that can change your soul. Now, am I suggesting you shouldn't serve the poor the other six days of the week? No, but what I am saying is you should have at least at minimum one day. You've got no excuse. You are without excuse. Make no more. You've been given a gift. You're just not using it. You're not using it for that purpose, that market day of the soul, to do spiritual commerce. Now, if that makes you angry, that I would suggest that you should do something, well, I'd suggest you get rid of your Bible and find another religion. Atheism is probably the best. It makes no call upon you. If you try Islam, that's nothing but works. Mormons, works. Jehovah's Witness, works. You just wear yourself out. Right? And what God is saying is, I'm, I'm, I've given you a gift. Use it. Use the gift. 
Walter Chantry, in probably the best book I've read on the Sabbath, called Calling the Sabbath a Delight, again, a small volume, says, and think about this, parents, if you began observing just the Sabbath, if all you did was keep one day and seven, Sunday's a good, good one for that because that's when God's people gather, right? If you kept one and seven over the whole of your child's life, and if all you did was on that day you catechized, you only got to it that one day, by the time they leave your house, they will have three, listen to me, three full years of education in the things of the Lord. You know what that is? Zach Schaefer, what is that? That's a seminary education for free, which you and I didn't have the benefit of. That's a seminary education to just observe one day in seven over the whole of your child's life and set it apart to do the spiritual commerce, the market day for the soul, to celebrate the good things of the Lord, not yoked and burdened, right? How many of you, you're, you're thinking, like when someone says something about family worship, you cringe and you die inside because you're like, you ought to try to come to my house and, t- and talk about anything at 8.30 at night when all of Hades is breaking loose and everybody's demon-possessed. What I need is an exorcist. Right? You know what the Lord says to you? Take heart. you got one whole day to try to get to this. Don't wear yourselves out. Don't beat your heads against the wall. I'm not saying don't do family worship when you can. But don't make that the the, the only thing that matters. Don't wear your family out. Take a day to enjoy. Teach your children that the Lord is good. Teach them the story. Teach them to appreciate. Teach them to rest. Right? All right. So let's turn to the text, Exodus 28 through 11. Now, this is in the middle of the giving of the law. This is the giving of the the Decalogue. And here's what the Lord says about the fourth commandment to Moses. He says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant, or your female servant, or your livestock, or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in, the six, in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Now, a couple of things that are very important for us to recognize, if you're familiar with the Ten Commandments. The first commandment is, thou shalt have no other gods before me. The second commandment is... Uh, thou shalt make no graven images. Is that right? Or is, that the, or is it the take the Lord's name in vain? Uh, I think it's no graven images. Three is don't take the Lord's name in vain. So all of that's about God, like how to love the Lord your God well. That's the first three commandments. He has this fourth commandment. And then after that, five, six, seven, eight, nine, and ten, all has to do with loving your neighbor, beginning with your parents, children, uh, by the way. And so, so notice this with the Sabbath, where it sits in the Decalogue. There's nothing wasted in Scripture. It is, if you're familiar with this term, a Janus. You know what a Janus is? It's a Greek thing that has two faces that can look forward and back. And so the Sabbath actually looks back to the first three commandments. Because what are we supposed to do on the Sabbath day? Remember the Lord. Let him be the only God that we have. 
and to recognize the image in which we've been created, not make other ones and distort his. And it is a day in which we are not to take his name in vain, but to celebrate all that it means for him to be Yahweh, our covenant God. And interestingly, it looks forward to the other five or six commandments that have to do with loving your neighbor, right? It has an ethic to it. Notice what it says. Your son, your daughter, your servants, your animals, all of them should get a day to rest. So it's a preparatory, it allows you to begin to care for people in a way, prepares you to do that in a way that no other day can. So the fourth commandment is the gateway to the two great commandments. Love the Lord your God with your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as you love yourself. Some of you are unable to do that because you ignore the Sabbath, the very blessing, the very day that defines and shapes that idea. Right? I mean, when we don't have time to do it, we don't have time to consider it, how good are we at it? We're not. Right? And so notice that the first obligation, though, is not the Sabbath. What is it? What's the first obligation? What are you first told to do? Work for six days. Get done what you need to get done in six days. I give you six full 24-hour cycles, and I give you all of the resourcing that you need to accomplish all that you need. Don't forget the promise, right? Do the righteous go begging bread? No, they don't. The Lord provides. Somehow, way. he always seems to come through because he promised that he would. So he gives us six days. So straight away, we're told, work. Now, what, is the, uh, what does it say in Thessalonians about the one who doesn't work? They're not supposed to be given any free ride. If you can work, you ought to work, right? And it's also why when those of us, uh, if you've ever not had a job for a season, that you feel so broken down and meaningless. One of the more interesting times in my life is I was about mm, 20, 19 or 20, and I'd gotten a job as a temp at Delta, right? And I thought, man, this is going to change my, I'm working for Delta. I'm going to make millions, right? Remember, I've been wrong about this before, by the way. And so I thought, man, this is going to be the ticket to ride. I'm going to work at Delta. And what do they do? They put me on the midnight shift down at the mail dock, okay? And so straight away, I, I'm working like crazy, right? That's the only thing I, my granddad had instilled in me, this great work ethic. And one of the guys pulled me aside and they said, hey, summer help. That's what they called me. Say, hey, summer help. They wouldn't even learn my name, which tells you what. <laughs> yeah, I was truly temporary. Hey, summer help, uh, you're making all of us look bad. And we got a sweet deal down here, and you're going you're to mess it up. And what I need for you to do is to stop trying to actually outwork us. Notice what everybody else is doing, nothing, and do that. And here we were. We had maybe three or four hours of work during the week, one hour on Sunday. And we did everything we could to make it just so they wouldn't come up with something else for us to do. And we were making probably 20, I was making 20 bucks an hour at that time. And other people were making more than I was. And so guess what happened when, when it came up? Some guys went to their boss and said, hey, don't retain him. So I lost that job. I lost the, the, the thing that was going to be the ticket to ride. And so I searched for a job for a, about a month and I thought I was going to go crazy. And so finally, I went to this temp agency, and they, put, <laughs> they sent me to this, this pineapple 
factory thing. And, and what they were doing was this, this pineapple company had gone out of business and they were, <laughs> just, just so you see inside the belly of the beast, they were tearing the old labels off and just relabeling them saying they were something else. Some other company's pineapple. So your, your faith in this should be shot. And so my whole job for 10 straight hours was to stand there, grab a pineapple can, tear the label off and glue a new one on, right? Well, so I, I'm bored out of my mind doing this. So I'm talking to the people around me. I'm like super gregarious. I'm like a little otter out there talking. And guess what happened? The boss came to me and says, hey, uh, <clears throat> you're running your mouth too much. You, uh, are you a reporter? What are you? What's your deal? You seem too intelligent for this job. So guess what? They didn't invite me back. I was like, dang, what am I supposed to do? So I went through this season where... I felt meaningless. I was unable to provide for myself. And, and so it really, and that was a small slice. That wasn't even major. Some of you have been through far worse and you know the impact that it has on you. There's others of you who think that it is your job to work all the time, right? And by doing that, what you're saying to the Lord is you're saying, I don't trust you. I've got to work seven days a week. I can't take a day. And I dang sure can't take the day that you've decided is best. So I'm going to reinterpret Romans 14, if you don't mind, and I'll pick my own day. Let me speak to Romans 14 for just a second. For those of you who think you can pick your own day, that is actually no reference at all to the weekly Sabbath. That's why it's, it's only talking about the festival Sabbaths that have to do with the, the changing of the moons and all that stuff. That's why it says the kingdom is not eating and drinking. Festival. It's not talking about the weekly Sabbath. Some of you may be wicked and say, well, I know Colossians 2, it says Sabbath. Notice it too says new moon. It talks about the Sabbaths that are associated with the changing of the moons. Is this weekly Sabbath associated with anything to do with creation other than God the creator? No, it comes up every week regardless of what the moon is doing. So that's a misapplication of both of those passages so that you can get what you want. See, you are doing the devil's work for him by saying, hey, did God really say? Did God really mean that? And so you are saying by having to work all seven days that you don't trust the Lord and you're putting yourself in a position that he cannot bless you in a way that makes you recognize who and what he is. So we need to learn to take the gift that is given because it is from all the way back into creation. If you notice, God asked for so little from us. One day in seven. And we can't even give him that. We've got to start somewhere though. And so, the second part of this, the second obligation is to actually keep the Sabbath day. What does it mean for something to be Holy. set apart. It's not talking about something being perfect. It just means that you say, I set this apart for the honoring of the Lord. Again, parents, can I reiterate to you, your kids would have a seminary education by the time they left your home. That should, that should say something to us. And we also know for a fact that children who are catechized don't walk away from the faith nearly, nearly as those who do, who have not been catechized who have not been instructed in the things of the Lord, who have not been given this gift. And so here, the second obligation is to set that apart for the loving of the Lord their God and also to make sure that they care for their neighbors. So let me, let me say something about this. For those of you who are like, aha, here's the part where we catch Cameron in the trap. 
Because him eating out, him eating out is a violation of this. He's not loving the one who serves him at the restaurant where he eats. Well, let me say this from a conscience perspective. Um, just because you don't eat out on the Sabbath doesn't mean you've accomplished anything. It doesn't mean that you've actually freed that person up to worship because I would say to you, if you're not going to eat out on the Sabbath, which is great, I think that's fine if that's what your conscience tells you, you should do no business on the Sabbath, then you dang well better go during the week and share the gospel with those people so that they will know what the day actually means. So you doing it that makes you look good doesn't mean anything at all, by the way. It doesn't actually accomplish what it's meant to do. Now, if you do eat out like I do, then what you should do is recognize the necessity to do something different. So how you tip, and this is, this is true of us. My wife sometimes is like, hey, we're not rich, by the way. But how you tip on the Sabbath ought to be different. If you're going to eat out, you ought to bless folks. Now, is that enough? No, you also should Again, try to build relationships so that that person can hear the gospel so they can come to know that that day has meaning. Yes? The whole point of the Sabbath is to draw others to the Lord, us included. So if all you do is keep behaviors that are not evangelistic, you have done nothing. I don't care what you think. So if you're going to have habits concerning the Sabbath, then they must... Love your neighbor, which you most do, by welcoming them to your God. Amen? So, you have a lot of creative breadth in there. Some of you may not think so. Some of you might. I'm happy to talk about it. Now, some of you may also be thinking, ah, there's another trap. Mr. Barm, what day do you take as your Sabbath? Well, here's the deal. It's a small-ass Sabbath, and Susan and I take it on Friday doesn't mean we ignore the Lord's day, but for us uh, who work in ministry, um, this is unique, right? And it is critical to my longevity and humility that I take a day on which I am nothing more than Abba's son. And I am not doing any of the work that can either puff me up or tear me down. Right? It doesn't mean that, the, that, that I don't think this is the Lord's day. Yes, in fact, I do. I very much do. And our practice on this day is different than the others as well. But we take that Friday as a Sabbath where we are but his son and daughter. And that is for the purpose of longevity. And really, that's more akin to when Jesus said, hey, I need to go be alone with my father. And if Jesus needed to do that, how much more me, who is far weaker than he is. So I don't see that as a binding Sabbath. I see that as a day of wisdom. And that doesn't mean that I treat this day different and I've got different rules for different days, per se. All right. So this means that the, the blessing that the Lord has given in the Sabbath, it extends to all of creation. If even your animals should get the day off, what's he saying? He's saying all of creation should have a day on which it reflects the glory of God. That's what it means. Listen to what J.A. Motier says. He's an Old Testament scholar. He says, The Creator prescribes His pattern of working and resting for us because we are made in His image, and this is our proper functioning procedure. It is how we were designed to live. Our calling is to live out the, His pattern to make His example the way we order our lives, to reflect 
what we are, beings created in the image of God. Do you understand that when you violate the, the, this, this work Sabbath rhythm, you are violating your own, the, the image that is in you. You are, in essence, saying, I am something other than what I was created to be. That's important. So have you ever experienced the blessing of the work Sabbath balance as an image bearer? I'm here to tell you I have, and the reason I know it's a blessing is because I did the opposite for most of my Christian life. My wife can tell you I would run hard. I mean hard because I was in seminary. I was uh, a chaplain at the rescue mission. I was preaching at Strong Tower, and those were two different sermons every Sunday. And I was working a full-time job, and I was a dad, and I was a husband, and I probably wasn't very good at any of those things. But I would run really hard, and I'd go for 12 days. We, we noticed, we started doing the math. I'd go for 12 days, and I'd crash and burn for two. Now, isn't there a wiser pattern in there somewhere? John Huff's a math teacher. He could help us out. I mean, what, in six and one, better than 12 and two, some way, somehow, and crash and burn instead of rejoice and enjoy. So I realized that if I wanted to survive, if I really, if I really wanted to um, uh, be what the Lord had called me to be on all fronts, then I needed, to, I needed to recognize this. And so even in the midst of seminary, for those of you who are in school and you, you think you're a wicked perfectionist and you think your grades matter more than anything else, I can assure you, I, I, was, I was there and worse. One of the best things you will do is take a day to rejoice and enjoy, and you will actually find that you do even better because your head is clearer, because you're, 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 you can actually rest. You're, you're, it, it's just an amazing thing. And so many of you who are either in high school or, or you're in college, you are struggling with this. You, you think, here's what you think. I, I'll get to that once I get out of school. Let me tell you something. No, you won't. No, you won't, because I didn't. And you're fooling yourselves. And parents, if you encourage this and you don't help your children to learn how to enjoy the Lord as he designed them to be, you are setting them up for failure because they won't come around to it. They'll learn how to function without him. They'll decide they don't need him just like they don't need you. So if you've experienced the blessing of it, pass it on. Help others to do the same. Not legalistically, but as gifts, because this is what you were created and designed to do. All right, if you would turn to Exodus 31, 12 through 18. So this is a little further along in the Exodus story. So the Decalogue had been given, and now the Lord is talking to um, Moses and, and those who are going to build the tabernacle. And so uh, there's a sense in which there's a lot going on, and the, the, the nation is beginning to form around these things, and God is going to reemphasize only one of the Ten Commandments here. And the reason that he's going to emphasize it in the midst of them building the tabernacle, where, by the way, he will dwell with his people, is to help them to understand that there is something happening between the now and the not yet. That they are to still observe even before everything is finished. They're still to show the world this gift that God, God is not Pharaoh. He's not demanding that they have the tabernacle done by a certain time. He's not giving them less and calling for more. No, for them to take a Sabbath in the midst of building the tabernacle tells everybody around them, this God is not Pharaoh. 
This God loves his people. This God gives good gifts. So listen at how he explains it to Moses, for Moses to explain to the people. This is uh, Exodus 31, verses 12 through 18. And the Lord said to Moses, you are to speak to the people of Israel and say, above all. You know what, you know what the Hebrew is there? Above all. Above all, you are to keep my Sabbaths. For this, you doing this, is a sign between me and you throughout your generation. That you may know that I, I, the Lord, sanctify you. What does it mean to be sanctified? It means to be set apart. It means to be defined by. You shall keep the Sabbath because it is holy for you. It is set apart for you. It is a gift to you. Everyone who profanes it shall be put to death. This is where we get nervous. Whoever does any work on it, the soul shall be cut off from among this, his people. Six days shall work be done, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of solemn rest, holy to the Lord. Whoever does any work on the Sabbath day shall be put to death. Therefore, the people of Israel shall keep the Sabbath, observing the Sabbath throughout the generations as a covenant forever. It is a sign forever between me and the people of Israel that in six days the Lord made heaven and the earth. And on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. And he gave to Moses when he had finished speaking with him on Mount Sinai the two tablets of the testimony, tablets of stone written with the finger of God. Now, notice again, what does God emphasize as most important, probably the most important thing they could do to help the surrounding nations know who they were? What is it? The Sabbath. He emphasizes it and says, listen, this is so critical. It is life and death eternally. Now, I know you're wondering, are we going to start bringing you under church discipline or stoning you as you come in in the parking lot or if you miss a Sunday? No, this is where Jesus really becomes important. We don't have to die for these things. He already has. And that's the beautiful part is because Jesus has died for these things. We now have the ability to keep it. We have even more motivation, even more provision to keep it than we ever have in history. And yet we probably keep it least of any time ever in history. And so the Lord is saying this is a covenant sign. Like this is not just something random. This is meaningful. You know what that puts it on the order with? Once he calls it a covenant sign, what are the other covenant signs? You guys who were in baptism just learned this this morning. What are the other covenant signs? in the Old Testament. Circumcision, Passover, and the Sabbath. Interestingly, in the New Testament, what do you get? Baptism, Lord's Supper, and the Lord's Day. In all of those things, the Lord fulfills and brings them forward so that they have a different, a fulfilled meaning, not a completely different meaning. They are the covenant signs. They're our way of saying to the world, here is who we are and whose we are. They are evangelistic means of grace. For those of you who say, I don't know how to evangelize, start with the Sabbath. Invite your neighbors into it. Invite them to a meal at your house. Eat things you don't normally eat during the week and explain it. Drink things you don't normally drink within reason, uh, so, that, so that people know this day is different. And I want to welcome you into it. I want you to rest too. I want you to know the God that I know. 
Remember, they were being set up to be a kingdom of priests to draw the nations to the Lord. And this was one of the main ways they would do it. Where did that go away? You royal priesthood, as Peter talks of you. And so this is critical. It's critical to who they're becoming. It's critical to who they are. Listen to what um, Ian Duguid, and I'm pronouncing that based on Bill Fullwove's recommendation. He's smarter than I am too, by the way. He and D.A. Carson. Uh, he says this, and this is in a commentary in the book of Ezekiel, but he's talking about this passage in Exodus 31. He says, The Sabbath command called God's people to march to the beat of a different drum. As a mark of submission to their covenant overlord, it was a sign of their liberation from bondage, for slaves are not in control of their schedule, but also a sign of their distinctiveness from other nations who had not been similarly redeemed. To profane the Sabbath was thus to abandon an essential element of their distinctiveness as the people of the Lord and to attempt, in effect, listen, to become just like the nations around them. It is to refuse to follow the example of God himself set in Genesis 2, 1 through 4. Did you hear that? Now let me ask you this question. Based on how you spend your days, who do you most look like? If that's all I had to go on was how, just, just a, a, a telling of your time, who would you most look like? Would you look most like the surrounding nations or the, this surrounding nation? tyranny of earning, the tyranny of gaining, the tyranny, fear of losing, the tyranny of the idols of safety and security? Is that what you would look like? Sobering, isn't it, when you think about it? If that's all I had, which by the way, most of your neighbors, based on your relationship with them or lack thereof, this is all they have, is how they see you spend your time. You think your neighbors don't know you're coming and going? We have a, a wonderful neighbor across the street. Myra, she seems to know when we come home because I think she's like, you know, peeking through the window and she loves us and we love her and Susan's built this great relationship with her. And so your neighbors are forming opinions about you and about your God based on how you spend your time and your money and, your, and all these things. And you may be thinking, that's ridiculous. Okay, go ask them. If you have the courage, go ask them. And, and, and wonder, because you've never invited them into this day, why they're confused about what it means. It's given to us as an evangelistic tool, a way to be distinguished, a way to set ourselves apart. Who or what is your Lord based on how you order and spend your days? Who is it? Who controls your schedule? For those of you who feel like you are caught in a swiftly moving current and you act as if you can't make hard decisions about what your children do and don't do and on what days they do it, as if there is something invisible going on in the universe at work against you and your schedule. To act as if you're going to somehow cripple your children by teaching them not to rest? Are you kidding me? That you're going to cripple your children by not, not giving them a seminary education by the time they leave your house? You're going to cripple them with that? But instead, because the world said Sunday doesn't matter anymore. Now, I'm not a blue laws guy, and I don't think the world should be dictating that stuff anyway. I don't care what the world does. 
That's what we ought to do. And the fact that the blue laws are gone gives you an even greater evangelistic opportunity because now you're not doing it because the law says you have to do it. Now you're doing it because you chose to serve your Lord and show your faith and your obedience. Amen? See, we see it as, look, they're taking our rights. I used to love it when the liquor stores closed on Sunday. Help me out. Get me sober one day a week. No, it didn't. No, the world dictating what you do and you don't do, that's, that's Pharaoh, isn't it? Notice what the world is saying is appropriate for even where you go to the bathroom. And who can come with you? Now, did I just say boycott Target? No, I didn't. But what I am saying is this, if you want the Lord to be your master, <laughs> it's going to be severe. And the, and the world will never give you rest. And the world will never come through on its promises. But the Lord does. And you ought to take a day to celebrate that and be set apart. If you would turn quickly to Deuteronomy 5. <clears throat> and there's going to be a different reason given here for the keeping of the Sabbath. And it's not that it's, it's in contradiction to the creation ordinance. It's, it's, it's an even fuller reason for us to take one day in seven to honor the Lord our God. This is Deuteronomy 5, 12 through 15. Hear the word of the Lord. Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your ox or your donkey or any of your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates that your male servant and your female servant may rest as well as you. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there with mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. Do you know why they were uh, released, why the Lord wanted them released from Pharaoh? What, what was the reason given? So they could do what? Work for themselves, right? Earn their own stuff. Start a free market economy. Because this communism stinks. Now, what was it, Patrick? You said it. Worship. And what's one of the first days that they're given in Exodus 16? Because remember, the Red Sea crossing is Exodus 15, which they sang, as we said before, that contemporary hymn known as the Song of Moses. What's the first day they're given? Coming out of that, they're, they're taught, hey, gather your food for six days. The last day, the sixth day, I'm going to give you double to make sure you have everything you need. I, the Lord, am going to keep my promise, and I'm going to let you see it. Here's the crazy thing. Think about this. The sixth day, they could tangibly see they were being given double from the other five days. So the Lord was fulfilling his promise tangibly. And they were called to not do anything on the seventh day for gathering, but instead to worship the Lord their God and enjoy him. And what did they do? Let's test it. Let's test it and see what happens. What did they find out? He wasn't playing. It's wasn't a joke. This is the promise of the Lord. They're being defined as a people. They're being, they're being taught the creator-creature distinction. And think about it. For them to see, they had, it was so close to see the double portion and yet still deny. That's insanity. And the same is true for you. It's absolute insanity for you to have the double portion, which is Christ. And yet you say, 
I don't need what the Lord said. I don't need his gift. I don't need his day. I don't need anything that he has to offer. You've been given the double cure. And yet we want to argue on which day it occurs. As if it's better that we have chaos instead of agreeing on a day that we could gather together to do what we were called to do. And yet we want to call it, and some of you may be thinking, Cameron, sliding legalism, Pharisee. No, hardly. A day to be free? Are you kidding me? See, I don't have to hold you under church discipline for not keeping the Sabbath because it comes with its own curse. You feel it. You are worn down and you don't even know why. You who so long for children are wondering if you can hire someone to kidnap them and sell them somewhere, get rid of them somehow. You who thought that that job was going to be the answer to all of your problems, who hate it every second now. It's not the job that's the problem. It's not your kids that's the problem. It's your schedule. It's the Lord of which you are bowing to, who is declaring its tyranny over you. Instead of you bowing to the good Lord and using the good gifts that he's given you, you are demanding your own way because you think you, the creature, know better than the creator. And we want to argue round and round and round this instead of receiving it as gift. And we want to argue ourselves out of the gift. That's insanity. When the Lord has fulfilled all of this, right? Notice that here it's, he, he actually mentions that you are, there's an ethic to this day. That you're supposed to let your, your people who work for you, you're supposed to, it mentions them twice, and there's a reason for that, because you were a slave. You should also treat those who work for you with, with this gift as well. You should not demand that they do what you yourself wouldn't do. But again, it should be pedagogical. It should be evangelistic. It should be to call them to worship with you, not just take a day off. And the Lord has fulfilled all of these things. Notice in the Lord coming, he again is renewing us. Listen to that language. Renewing us in the image. He is recreating us in the image. He is setting us free from the slavery that is sin. He is fulfilling the covenant, the new covenant that was poured out in his blood. So he's fulfilled all this. And so you may say, well, then why do we need to take a day? Because we're between the now and the not yet. And the eternal Sabbath is yet to come. And we should take a day to practice for it, for when it gets here. It's just Bible. And so you may say, well, why, why do we do it on Sunday? Well, one of the best reasons is it's pedagogical. Because we received the gift first. Instead of us doing all that we can do for six days and giving back to the Lord. Now with Jesus coming, we received first, just as Adam and Eve did, by the way. Their first day in existence was the Sabbath, the day of creation. The first day for us is, is ordered by the resurrection and our recreation. So yeah, you can do it another day if you want to, whatever. But you lose all the pedagogy. Right? Let's do it on Tuesday. What does that mean? Nothing. You, you got no, there's, nothing, there's nothing in the story that helps you for Tuesday or Wednesday or even the small S Sabbath for us on Friday. It doesn't do any good. It's this day. This day is unique for when we're called to gather together as God's people for where we can do both ethic and love our neighbor and love the Lord our God. This is the day that most frames that. Let it teach. Let it preach. 
Stop kicking against the goads. So how does the Sabbath help to deliver and restore you? Now, you may be uncomfortable with that language, but it helps to deliver you from the surrounding tyranny of the culture and the, and the pain and the sorrow that your schedule tyrannizes and lords over you. And it reminds you that you are not, as God's creation, you are not caught up in something for which he is not sovereign over. You are not so caught up in it that you can't, you can't break away. And it helps to restore us for God's glory, doesn't it? It's actually a gift to us. It's not about what we do on this day. It's about what he has done, is doing, and will do. Listen to what uh, Tim Keller says. That's important. He's, again, another guy smarter than me. He says, God portrays the Sabbath day as a reenactment of emancipation from slavery. It reminds us how he delivered his people from a condition in which they were not human beings but simply units of capacity in Pharaoh's brick production system. Anyone, listen to this, anyone who cannot obey God's command to observe the Sabbath is a slave and they are a self-imposed one. You are returning again to a yoke of slavery where Galatians 5 says, don't do that, you've been set free. So what do we learn from these three texts on the Sabbath? One, is that the Sabbath reminds us that we are image bearers for the glory of our creator God. It reminds us who we are and whose we are. Second, it is a sign of our covenant relationship with God and our set-apartness as his chosen people. And that is a signal to the world. Third, the Sabbath commands us to live in freedom in the redemption accomplished through faith alone, by God's grace alone, in Christ alone. As we close out, may I encourage you to rethink. You got to start somewhere. Don't, don't freak out. Don't say it's all or none. For some of you, you may have to start with just a few hours. You know what? That'll be okay. You start with just a few hours. If that's all you can set apart for now, and you work your way up, do what you can. Make changes. Make adjustments. Some of you, you may just need to rip the Band-Aid off. That may be how you think. That may be how you work. Whatever. But it's something you need to be talking about, something you need to be thinking about, and something that I promise you will do exactly what the Lord said it would do. It'll be a blessing to you and to your family for generations. And we don't think like that. We ought to. Let me pray. Father, thank you for the good gift that is the Sabbath. Thank you for Christ fulfilling all that it points to and entails. Thank you that it restores the image in which we were created and allows us to live in the way that you designed and fashioned us. God, thank you that it is a, um, it points to our deliverance from slavery. Thank you that you are so gracious to say to us, rest from your work, rest from the tyranny of the between the now and the not yet, rest from the world. And know that I love you. God, thank you for being so willing to keep so many different signs before us of your love for us. May we use them in faith, reflected in our obedience. And may that be a blessing to you, and may it also tell our neighbors all around us that we love them. In Christ's name, amen.